Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Pastors have a, a fun job most of the time. But the most, Im- the most enjoyable thing we get the privilege of doing is talking about Jesus. And so this series is just so enjoyable because we get to actually, again, talk about Jesus. We get to talk about Christ. And if you aren't talking about Christ, can I, can I encourage you not to start? Can I encourage you to seek Christ? And when you find him, you'll just start talking about him. Okay? If that makes sense to you. When you become enamored with him, you'll just start talking about him. And it will be a joy for you. So let's look at our scripture this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the, power of his, by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, The first thing our text says is that God spoke. In the beginning, after creating man... God would meet with Adam in the garden and speak with him. After, though, Adam fell and rebelled, receiving his punishment of suffering and death, he was separated from God. Now, was God obligated then to speak with Adam anymore? We've been focusing on talking to the young people and the children, so young people, children... Not you. Was God obligated to speak with Adam anymore after Adam had rebelled? No, he wasn't obligated to speak with him. So why would God do that? Why would God want to speak with Adam? Why would he want to reach out to his rebellious creatures? Well, God in his character is love and he has love for his creation. And he wasn't caught off guard by this insurrection that occurred. He had a plan for it before he'd even made the world. We read this morning as we had the lighting of the Bethlehem candle, that passage about Bethlehem, and it says in the passage that we read, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So the goings forth of Jesus that was prophesied in Micah's prophecy were from 
eternity. God wasn't surprised by what had happened. He had already made provision for it. He had already set things up for it. And so God revealed this piece of the puzzle through Micah 700 years before Christ was born. 700 years. That's, that's a long time. How long has America been a country? How long has America become a, been a country? Anybody know? About 250? Yeah. 700 years. Almost three times the length of time that America's even been a country, this prophecy was made about Jesus and about Bethlehem. Who was God speaking to in Micah's prophecy? Well, Micah chapter 1 tells us that when Micah starts speaking the words of God, he says, hear, O peoples, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. Now, Does that mean that that prophecy is for you? Does that mean it's for me? Does that mean it's for the youngest person here? Does that mean it's for the oldest person here? Yes, all peoples, all time. And our text says that he spoke to the the fathers. Now, right away you might think about the patriarchs. You guys familiar with the word patriarchs? Young people and children, patriarchs? Can you name me a patriarch? Abraham, good. Certainly he spoke to the patriarchs of Israel, but also he spoke to individuals, to kings, to tribes, to regions, to cities, to nations. God spoke to a lot of people. To the fathers here in this passage represents all of those to whom God had spoken before the time that is about to be referred to in the passage. So before this time that's going to be explained in the passage, everybody, the the fathers represents everyone that God has spoken to before that time. And God spoke to the fathers in the prophets. This represents those through whom God would primarily speak in the Old Testament? Did he speak through others? Were there other ways that God spoke to men? Young people, children. Other ways God spoke to men? Dreams? What else? Who? Visions? What else? Who else? Angels. That's a good one. You know, one time in a sort of a way, God even had a message given to a man through a a donkey. So God has ways to get his message through, and he used many of those things, but primarily in the Old Testament it was done with the prophets. Prophet literally just means to speak prior, prior, before, to speak before. So for instance, if we get some paint on these walls pretty soon out in the new edition, and I see you coming in with your nice new uh, shirt, and you don't know that they just put the paint on that wall and it's still wet, and I see you kind of getting close and you're kind of ready to lean against the wall like we do sometimes when we're not feeling strong, you know, we lean against the wall, what's going to happen to your shirt? 
you're going to get wet paint on your shirt, right? And if I say to you, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're getting too close to the wall, that, that wall's wet, what am I doing? I'm prophesying in a weird kind of way. I'm speaking before, and I'm warning you because I want to interrupt the process that's going to happen. Well, that helps you to understand a little bit of this, but to speak before in the Bible is unlike this in that the prophets in the Bible are speaking God's word. They are speaking actually the words of Christ, as we will see. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, for Second Peter says, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God was speaking. God would have them say many, many things. Sometimes there were directives and laws and commands. Who can tell me some commands? Anybody? Are there any famous commands in the Old Testament? The Ten Commandments, that's good. God would give laws. He would give directives and commands. Sometimes he would use the prophets to say what was going to happen, whether it was good or whether it was bad, whether it was going to be sooner or whether it was going to be later. Sometimes what, what he would tell them what would happen if something didn't change, like the wall. If you don't stop where you're going now, something's going to happen. There's going to be judgment. Sometimes God would tell truths about himself through the prophets, about his character, or about how he feels about his people. Some things that they said were terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Some things that they said were mysterious. Some things that they said were wonderful. Some things were promises for the life that the people were living at the time, and some of them were promises for a life to come. And often the prophets would speak about the one who was to come. The Psalms especially are full of this. Often the prophets would speak about the one who was to come. Moses spoke of the one who was to come. Moses was a special prophet because he was a type representing the one who was coming that was greater than he was. He actually said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, And he says this, he says, you shall listen to him. (laughs) They didn't always listen to Moses. But this is an interesting thing. Moses just declares, you shall listen to him. You shall listen to him. When you speak, children, when you talk, when you're with your friends, when you're talking, usually there are people with you. How many of you ever talk when nobody's with you? Yeah, I do too sometimes. Yeah. Now, how many of you talk when nobody's with you, but you're talking as if somebody's with you? No, no, no. You're talking to yourself, aren't you? How many of you think it's a little strange when you talk and you think somebody's with you, but nobody's with you? We, we, we don't, that's not, right, right, right. We, we don't think that's really normal, right? But at the same time, we sometimes talk to ourselves and, it, and people might look at us and they say, oh, he's talking to himself. But if they think he's talking to somebody that's not really there, that's bad. But, but, when, but when, children, when you're talking with your friends, do you expect them to listen to you? Do you expect them to listen to you? Yeah. If they don't listen to you, what are they doing? What are they doing? They're being, they're being inconsiderate. They're being ill-mannered. They're being rude. It's not nice to not listen, right? We, all we want, when we're in conversation, we want people to listen to us when we have a contribution, right? 
What were the people supposed to do when the prophets that God was using spoke to them the message from God? When God speaks, what, is he, what do you think he thinks people ought to do? Do you think God expects people to listen to him? Yeah, he does. But did the people listen? Often they didn't. Often they didn't. He says in Zechariah 7, but they refused to pay attention and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so they could not hear the law and the words of which the Lord of hosts had sent them by his spirit through the former prophets. It says they made their hearts like flint. It's like making your heart like a rock. You know, you ever have such a bad attitude that you could actually consider that your heart was like a rock? And you didn't want to. You didn't want to be open to anybody. You didn't want to be open to your mom and dad. You didn't want to be open to your brothers and sisters. Your heart was like a rock. Well, that's how they were toward God's words. It says they stopped their ears. I have some really cool little uh, plugs when I don't like loud noises that I can stick in my ears and they expand. They're like foam and they expand in there. And I don't. And I just can't hear anything. It was like this. They didn't want to hear God, and so they stopped their ears. They, Stuck their fingers in their ears. They don't want, I don't want to hear you. It was not just rude. It was rebellious. And it wasn't just rebellious. It was dangerous. It was dangerous. The prophets were speaking before. They were speaking prior. And our text says that the prophets spoke in many portions. One's, one prophet spoke at one time and one at another. There may be hundreds of years without God speaking through one of the prophets. No Old Testament prophet had the whole picture. They may have had the picture for some little specific event for some group of people, but they didn't have the whole picture of the mysterious whole that God was working toward. They had a, they had a hint of it, but they didn't have that whole picture. It was as if they had pieces of a puzzle. If you think about a, a puzzle, they're, 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 they're saying things about Jesus, and you guys have put together a puzzle, right? Let's pretend we're putting together a puzzle of an apple. You get a piece over here and a piece over here, and if you have the box, it's helpful, right? The lid. Pastor Max needs the lid. So you're putting together pieces of the puzzle, and you say, oh, okay, and then you see, oh, there's that little woody thing. Oh, I got the stem. I know where it's, I can get this, and I'm getting something, but I'm not seeing, you know, a lot of things yet about this apple. And they're putting together pieces, and they're looking, and they're wanting to understand. But they couldn't see the whole picture. And the Scripture says that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. They wanted to know, what what was the picture going to be? What was it going to be? And what's fascinating is, well, I'll get to that in a second. So they spoke in many pieces, portions, and then they spoke in many ways. How were they to deliver their prophecies? How were they supposed to do it? So here's Ezekiel. How does Ezekiel deliver his prophecy? His prophecy is Israel and Jerusalem have been so rebellious. And so he, God sends Ezekiel and he says, you're going to t- show them 
by illustrating yourself what's going to happen to them because of their rebellion, for, for every year of their rebellion, you're going to show them how, what's going to, what it's going to be. And so he, he has Ezekiel take a brick. He says the brick represents Jerusalem, so he puts the brick down. That's like their, their little, what do they call those, a mosaic or a panorama. He's got a panorama with a brick. That's Jerusalem, right? You've got to use your imagination. And then he takes a metal plate, and he sticks it down in front of the brick, and that represents Israel. And then God says, you lay on your left side for 390 days. How long is a year, young people? How long is a year? 365, okay, is 365 less than 390? Yes, so for more than a year, Ezekiel lays on his left side to illustrate that there's going to be a siege, an embattlement against Israel. They're going to be besieged. And then he has to turn over and lay on his right side for 40 more days. That's how long the siege is going to be against Jerusalem. And all this while, because sieges are nasty, and people get hungry, and they can't do anything normal. All this while, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your, your barley grain. I think it was barley. And I want you to take your barley grain, and I want you to bake your barley loaves for your food there in front of while you're doing your siege illustration. And then he says, I want you to cook it on what? Dung is the word that I want to use. <laughs> but, but what kind of dung? People dung. He says, cook your food on people dung. Because that's how bad it's going to be for them when they're under siege. They're going to be so oppressed and so hungry and so wanting that they're going to resort to cooking their food on their own dung. And Ezekiel begged him and said, please, Lord, I have never done something like that. Could you please let me use something else? And God says, okay, use animal dung. And Ezekiel, that's what he did. What's another way? Well, Jeremiah, God says, buy a a nice waistband. And, um, you know, a beautiful waistband, maybe very ornate. Put it around your waist, wear it for a while. Jeremiah's wearing this waistband. I don't know, maybe he got compliments on his waistband. And so he wears it. Then God says, okay, I don't want you to stop wearing it now. I want you to take the waistband out, and I want you to bury it in the rocks there by the river. He buries it in the rocks by the river. Time passes, time passes. What's happening to the waistband there in the nice, moist rocks? It's turning into dirt. Well, kind of, yes, eventually, yes. It's just rotting, isn't it? It's just rotting. It's getting moldy and yucky, right? That beautiful waistband is moldy and and yucky. And so God says, Jeremiah, go dig it up. So Jeremiah goes and digs it up, and he's like, I don't know what he expected, but he digs it up, and he's holding up this moldy, yucky waistband. And God says, this is like my people. This is like my people. So God used a lot of different ways. Another one he used was Jonah. What happened to Jonah? What do we remember Jonah for? Yeah, 
Yes, that's a good thing to remember him for. What, would, what, was the most, what were most of you thinking right away? He got swallowed, right? God didn't command Jonah to go get swallowed. That just happened because he disobeyed God, right? God commanded Jonah just to go to Nineveh and walk through the city and preach and tell them to repent or else God was going to have to judge them. So that was a different way that God was telling the prophet to speak. And so prophets used all different means, but all of them were looking for something big, something final, some fulfillment, some person at the, at the right time. And so Galatians 4 says that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time had arrived. It was, it was now time. Well, what does that mean for the prophets? Well, if you think about a puzzle of an apple, what's better than to have the completely made full puzzle of an apple? An apple. And see, the prophets got pictures and they got, they got, they got visions and forms. But when the fullness of time came, God sent the real thing. He sent the real thing. And so there were a few prophets present right at this moment. Right at this moment, he was born, and there were some of them right there. There was Simeon, and there was Anna, the prophetess, both of them right there in the temple. And Simeon saw Jesus, and he just immediately, he had been told by God, you're going to see him before you die. He had been told that, and he saw him. And so what did he do? Well, Simeon says, I can die. I have seen your salvation. The salvation you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Anna rejoiced when she saw him. She rejoiced when she saw him. There was one more prophet at the inaugural moment of Jesus' ministry, and that was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said these words, or these words were said about John the Baptist as he was preaching. In the words of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. All flesh will see it. Not a puzzle anymore, not a picture, not portions, not different ways, not cryptic, not around the corner, not over the hill, not through this rock field that obscures. All flesh will see the salvation of God. Jesus himself came, the real prophet came. And then our text says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. This is the ultimate prophet Moses had said that they would listen to. You shall listen to him. Jesus is a prophet of a different sort. On the Mount of Transfiguration, as Peter was there and he saw Moses and Elijah 
I mean, you can imagine it was pretty amazing, right? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. I mean, Jesus had been with Peter, so that was something. And Peter had seen Jesus do amazing things, and that was something. But suddenly, two guys from the past show up, and they're Moses and Elijah. And the three of them are there, and Peter is so excited. And he says, let's build some sheds. You know, let's build some sheds. And we will have these, one for each of you. We'll have some nice sheds where we can keep this up. Right? I don't know what he intended long term for the sheds. But he wanted to build some sheds. And it's amazing. Jesus doesn't respond to Peter. But a voice comes out of heaven. And, and uh, what's the word? Calibrates Peter, the apostle. I mean, he, it calibrates him. And, he, and the voice simply says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And immediately they were terrified Well, what was the situation? Peter was looking at Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and he thought, wow, this is a a good crowd. These are famous guys. But he didn't see the difference between them. (laughs) I'm just convinced he didn't see the difference. And God introduced him to the difference. No, Peter, we don't build sheds for three guys like they're equals here. I want you to know something. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. He was calibrated. He was calibrated. Because the real had arrived. You mean you couldn't get much better than Moses and Elijah? I tried to think about how to say this. The prophet... And prophecy were now one and the same. Do you understand what I'm saying? The prophet and prophecy were now one and the same. And I think it's my way to say what it said in John 1. And the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Prophet and prophecy were one. This word whom he appointed as heir of all things, the father loves the son and has given everything into his hand. This word through whom he had made the world. John 1.3, all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Listen, he ain't Moses and he ain't Elijah, okay? He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. How is it that 2 Corinthians says that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ? In his very face, we see God. 
He is the exact representation. The last part of the verses, when he had made purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, I'm going to leave those because that's the next two weeks, you guys. Two other guys get to talk about Jesus in the next two weeks, okay? So that's in the next two weeks. Jesus as priest, Jesus as king. And it's exciting. But today our theme is Jesus as prophet. He wasn't just the prophet, he himself was the word. Like the prophets before him, he said many things. He made directives and laws and commands. He said things that were going to happen, some good, some bad, some sooner, some later. He said what would happen if people didn't change their behavior. He gave truths about himself, his character, and how he felt about them. Some things he said were terrifying, some were mysterious, some were wonderful. And he made promises, promises for this life and the life that is to come. And I just want to kind of rest on promises for a second. He made promises. God was saying through Jesus, the promises of a new covenant And John 1.16 says, For of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. Jesus came to explain God as God. Moses mediated the law. Jesus mediates grace upon grace. Now we've heard about the Gospels called good news. How about this? Good, good news. Better good news. Gooder good news. You just keep saying it. But it's grace upon grace. And there's a difference between what they had known in the revelation of the law versus what they found in the revelation of the message of Jesus Christ and the covenant that he was bringing. Okay? This covenant that he was bringing was of such a value to them because while the law... was oppressive because of their sin. This covenant had to do with grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to read a a short thing by Matthew Henry about this grace upon grace. The law was given by Moses, and it was a glorious discovery, both of God's will concerning man and his good will to man. But the gospel of Christ is a much clearer discovery of both duty and happiness. That which was given by Moses was purely testifying, I'm sorry, that which was given by Moses was purely terrifying and threatening and bound with penalties, a law which could not give life, which was given with abundance of terror. 
But that which is given by Jesus Christ is of another nature. It has all the beneficial uses of the law, but not the terror, for it is grace. Grace teaching, grace reigning. It is a law, but a curative law of love. The endearments of love are the genius of the gospel. Not the affrightments. All right, kids, have you used the word affrightments lately? Affrightments? That just means terrors. The endearments of love are the genius of the gospel, the promises that Jesus was bringing as our prophet. The endearments of, the, of, the love, of love are the genius of the gospel, not the terrors of law and curse. This is what this prophet brought to us. He brought us love, forgiveness, reconciliation to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. And Hebrews 8 says, He has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Grace upon grace. This is what Jesus came to bring to us. If you're unfamiliar, Jesus made a lot of promises, and they're all good to us about, concerning what his work does for us, right? There are some promises of judgment, but there are promises, whatever his work does for us, they are good promises. And if you're not familiar with the promises of Jesus, I'm not going to give you a list this morning, but I I would challenge you to try to seek out and understand just one. Okay, just one promise, if you're not familiar. Just seek out the promise of eternal life. If you take just the Gospel of John and just the the letter of 1 John, just those two books of the Bible, John and 1 John, and look up all the passages that use the word life and eternal life in, in there, and then you try to write down what the implications of what's being said about all of them and Jesus' relationship to them. Okay, this is a good place for you to start. That was how God started me as a child toward him. I wanted to live. I didn't want to die. And Jesus is the one, you know, when Peter, at a certain time, Jesus was preaching to this huge crowd of people And he said something they didn't like, so the whole mob left, except for the disciples. And Jesus looked at the disciples, and he said, well, are you going to abandon me too? Do you know what Peter said? Where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Eternal life. Where else would we go? It's a significant thing Jesus is bringing the fulfillment and the promise of eternal life, okay? So there's one you can start with just looking at those passages. Moses said about Jesus, you shall listen to him. Isaiah and John the Baptist said, all flesh will see the salvation of God. Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so here's the thing. 
Do you see the salvation of God? Do you see the salvation of God in this Jesus? Do you hear his promise of grace upon grace? Has that come and become resonant in you, right? I want to give a, a one example of a good and a bad case of this from the scripture, and it's when Jesus goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee. He goes into the Simon the Pharisee's house, and as he's there, the woman comes into the house, and she has an alabaster jar. She breaks it. She's anointing his feet. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet. And, and all the while, Simon, the Pharisee, is standing over here, and he's going, into, thinking to himself. He doesn't talk to himself. He's thinking to himself, and he says, he doesn't know that that woman's a sinner. He's getting touched by a sinner, and he doesn't know it. Well, Jesus knew something that Simon didn't know, and that is that he knew what Simon was thinking. And so he says, Simon, let me ask you something. If, if two men owe somebody a debt, one a, a big debt and one a low debt, and they're both forgiven of that debt, which one of them is going to love the one who forgave them more? The one who was forgiven a big debt or the one who was forgiven a little debt? And well, Simon was like, I'm a smart guy. Yeah. Well, the one who's forgiven a big debt. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. I came into your house. You didn't even give me a kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing me since she arrived. You didn't even offer me to clean my feet off because of the dust of the road. She's been pouring ointment on my feet and wiping it with her hair. She has been forgiven much, and so she loves much. And he turns to the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven you. And he, he says, uh, your faith has saved you. Who was her faith in? Was her faith in her actions? Was her faith in the fact that she wiped his feet? Was her faith in her tears? Her faith was in Jesus. She loved him. He was beautiful. She could see him for who he was. She could see him for who he was. And she knew who she was. And she was ready, ready, ready to meet this Jesus. And Simon, what did Simon see when he looked at Jesus? It's a good question. How many of you can relate to the woman? Don't raise your hand. How many of you can relate to Simon? How many of you think in Sunday mornings when you hear about that sinner over there? Just me? Okay. This Jesus came with grace upon grace. This Jesus came to deliver us from our sins. She went away receiving it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace she was saved through faith, not of herself, not of her works. She trusted in Jesus. Simon the Pharisee, did he receive a blessing from Jesus? 
No. Did he get any assurance of salvation as Jesus left his house? We're not told he got any. Nothing. Because he could neither see nor hear. This is why we sang Good Christian Men Rejoice. Jesus Christ was born to save. He came to Bethlehem, and the scripture says he didn't come to bring judgment, but salvation through himself. But wait, at the end, there's more. Okay? Because the prophets always exhibited or usually exhibited some aspect of judgment on God's behalf. Sometimes they even slaughtered God's enemies physically. Does Jesus still hold the right to bring judgment? He's not a small P prophet. He is the capital P prophet. And the scripture says that he absolutely will come. A day is coming when he will come on the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will mourn over him. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The prophet. (laughs) Prophet doesn't need the article. The Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. One more verse. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? I'll tell you who is able to stand. That sinner woman. (laughs) She is able to stand. Are you going to be able to stand? God makes us able to stand. It says... uh, in, uh, oh, where is that passage? Romans 14, it says that even those who have just a little faith, it literally says, God is able to what? 
make them stand. Just a little faith. And so this is the Jesus. He's come to us now, bringing salvation. And there is a day coming when he will bring judgment. But he has brought salvation to us. Grace upon grace. It's for you. Pray. Pray that God will open your eyes and ears. That he'll open them more. That Jesus will become more and more and more precious to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that by your plan and design, you sent Jesus Christ into the world, that it was an eternal plan, and that we might receive from him grace upon grace, that this good news is ours, Father, that we can have salvation, that we can, Father, that we can before you be clean, even as that woman, even though our sins are worse than hers, they are. And the Pharisees' sins were far worse than hers. Help us to understand ourselves, Lord, before you and your kindness and mercies in Christ before us. Open our eyes so that we may see. Open our ears so that we may hear. Be merciful to us and save us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.